What's up, y'all? It's your boy DSD, and we're here with another edition of our podcast. We're rolling in with number four, and I got my guy Kyle here doing it again. What's up, Kyle? What is up, Cam? Happy to be back, and uh, yeah, it's a nice little Monday here. Fun basketball weekend, fun UFC yeah. weekend. Even though we both gave the people terrible gambling advice, um, both I, on we 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 could talk about that. But I, I actually had in defense, my my gambling odds weren't the worst, but they weren't the best. Let's just be honest. No, that's fair. My mine was worse because I told people to take. Uh, Take the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks did technically win Game Three, but they didn't cover the spread on it. So uh, the the house lost a lot of money in Vegas this weekend on basketball. Oh, big for sure, for sure. Yeah, they they got let down by the Nuggets too, and uh, they 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 weren't ready for Chris Paul going for ten consecutive made baskets to end the game in, and yeah. end the series in in Denver at the old ball. All right, arena. so let's yeah, let's start with him because. Wow. That guy is just um you know, father time does is never lost, but right now the point god himself is just re- rewriting it. Like, here's the problem with Chris Paul right now. It's obvious he's an unbelievable player. It's he's playing in a career like unbelievable, you know, rate. He's been unbel- he's been great. But the problem is is they're going to have to sign him now. And this is the issue where the Suns have no choice but to sign him to like a four-year deal with like $25 million. To be honest, I probably would do it, but it's just like, wow. Imagine being in that situation where, say they don't win or something, they go to the Western Conference Finals or even the NBA Finals and lose. Oh, you're stuck with Chris Paul. But, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's more of just the fact that he's, a, he's an aging guy. And like I said, father time has never lost. It's the Al Horford paradox, right? Is yes. how do you deal with players who are coming up on the ends of contracts and they, they bet on themselves for long-term deals. And for Chris Paul, you're right. The Phoenix Suns have turned a corner. Not that they weren't great before. They went 8-0 in the bubble, obviously, but they just had yeah. too many games to come back from. And Damian yep. Lillard won bubble MVP. But it, it took like 50, 60 games. And apart from Chris Paul, who's made about 10 playoff runs in his career, none of these guys, other than like Jay Crowder, have ever had postseason runs. And it's remarkable what the Phoenix Suns have done so far, considering that also I said sure. this series would go to seven games and I didn't see any other way that it wouldn't. Um, it, it's been quite remarkable how well the Suns are and they get like nine off days now. And and to the point on Chris Paul, I mean, you can you can sign him up for this run and this run itself, but yeah, the, he's he has to re-sign with the Phoenix Suns and the Suns have to pay him whatever it is that he asks for because he's become such an integral part of that yeah. basketball team. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing, and like I don't want to like overlook how good he's been, right? Because it's like that would be doing him a disservice. But man, I mean, like this is just one of those situations where he's playing. I guess he's playing above his ceiling right now. Like I think he's still a great player, just like very old. Giving people big contracts when they're older usually does not end up well. But the thing about Chris Paul, other than any other player, is that he's not like. Super like, you know, dunky, athletic. It's just he's smart. So maybe this contract won't be as bad on the back end because it's still shooting, passing. And it's really not like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like really relying on the athleticism or, you know, anything crazy like that. So yeah. it might actually might not be too bad. 
Yeah, and Chris Paul, for years, we had said, like, you know, his game is going to age so gracefully because it's all about mid-range jump shooting. He's still one of the best mid-range jump shooters in the league. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about his mid-range jump shot. That thing should be, shouldn't be a mid-range jump shot anymore. It should be called the Chris Paul mid-shot or something because that guy is an absolute assassin. He makes that shot look so much more important than what people are giving it credit for. Like, I remember people were saying the mid-range or, you know, like those long in-between shots between the three and... Yeah, it's like somewhere in between a... Like, like Chris Paul is like somewhere in between a Carmelo Anthony two pointer and like an Andrew Wiggins clanked three pointer. It's like somewhere in between that. And and historically at this point, like the analytics will show that these mid range shots aren't good, you know, for all these, you know, stupid analytics. But yeah, you get less points per you get less points per shot attempt than you would at almost every other place on the floor. I think the only one that's worse than that is like the long two pointer. And you no, have yeah, to be well, the really long two pointers are terrible. Yeah, they're terrible. I mean, like those ones are the ones that are, in my opinion, a bad shot. The mid range shots, like the you know, like the fifteen footer or you know, like a 15, like sixteen footers, are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, it's yeah. just not as no, many I, players have that shot in their arsenal, in, in their bag. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's Chris exactly. Paul. It's Chris Anthony Middleton. Davis. It's Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton has one. Oh, he's nice, Chris Middleton. Well, I've got I've got thoughts on Chris Middleton. We'll get to that at some point here. But the, okay. the, the Milwaukee Bucks have been fascinating. But to your point on Chris Paul, if you're going to take and make the mid range jumper as much as he does, and it's not like it's a it's like a Steph Curry floater. Like Steph Curry hits like free throw line floaters. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. like just a straight mid range jump shot. He fades to his back shoulder to like protect his body from the defender because obviously he's not the biggest dude in the world. And he hits it yeah. every single time. Literally in game four, he hit 10 straight shots and his 37-point game. This is not the official stat of the day, but his 37-point game oh. was the most he's had in any basketball game in three and a half seasons in game four wow. to close out the series against the Denver Nuggets. I Wow, that, that's a great stat. And that's not the stat of the day. I'm excited what this Saturday is going to look like. Yeah, I think I think you might enjoy it. But anyways, to okay. the, <laughs> um here's another interesting thing for the Denver Nuggets. So the the reason I had thought the series would go 7 games before all of that broke down for the Nuggets was that the Denver Nuggets three best scores without Jamal Murray are 6 8 6 9 and yeah. 7 feet tall. There's bad matchups for them. I think that's what you're going to get into. There's a bad matchup for like height wise, but it just went the opposite way. To and, be and, honest. and the only big guy for the Phoenix Suns is Aiton. And Aiton is, you know, Aiton's a an average league defender. He's he's not that good, but he's not. It's not like he's he's Nurkic, where he's just like a giant sack of potatoes standing in the middle <laughs> of the paint. Yeah. So. That I thought that was going to be a huge problem for the Denver Nuggets, or I'm sorry, for the Phoenix Suns, because yep. they were gonna they were gonna work them on the outside, like Compazzo and Austin Rivers. Those dudes didn't have a chance offensively or defensively against Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and those two, you know, average Chris Paul averaged twenty something points for the series, and Devin Booker averaged like twenty five points a game in the series. But yep. those two guys for Denver, uh, Michael Porter Jr. And Aaron Gordon just got clamped the entire series by Mike Bridges and Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson. Like, I was stunned that those guys got outplayed 
where Aaron Gordon, after game one, where he had 18 points and they lost by like 20, he had a four-point game, a six-point game, and an eight-point game in the rest of the series. Yeah, I saw he averaged nine points, right? That is just brutal. And nine points, but one of them was an 18-point game one, so that drives up the average. And Michael Porter Jr. So Michael Porter Jr. this season was averaging 18 points a game before Jamal Murray's injury. After Jamal Murray's injury, he was in the 22-23 range. He averaged 15 a game in this entire series, in all four games. So he was less than his regular season average in the series against against the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Wow, defensively, they're just clamping it up. Like Another thing I think people misunderstand is, like, how important these wing defenders are because... You know, that's why Jay Crowder is like, you know, when he was on the Boston Celtics, like there was at one point when he had like the best contract in the NBA. I think he was making like $6 million a year or something like that. And it's all about like guys that can, you know, like really you're constructing these guys to be able to defend LeBron, quote unquote, right? So Jay Crowder can like, you know, I'm not saying he's going to sl- like stop him, but, you know, slow him down. Marcus Morris, Mark Markeith Morris, that type of player. But what makes Jay Crowder a little bit different is that he's just, he's like the streakiest shooter I've ever seen too. So he can actually like knock it down, like especially in the Miami Heat bubble, like he's he was hitting threes like a ridiculous rate. Yeah, he. I mean, he turned the Andre Iguodala trade when they got him from Memphis. Yeah. They turned the Iguodala trade into the Jay Crowder trade, and it was quite remarkable to see that happen. Yeah, and then you know got Bridges, who you know is probably. I mean, I don't know if he's an all defensive team, like, but he's like he's he's a contender for sure. Like the guy's a great player. I mean. And, you know, they've drafted really well there. They got a lot of young studs. Well, well, hang on. No, no, no. I disagree with that. They drafted very poorly across their rebuild, but they happened to get some hits like DeAndre Ayton, Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson. Because do not forget, this is the team that took DeAndre Ayton over Luka Doncic. They took, uh, you were just about to say his name. Um, Josh Jackson. Yeah, Josh Jackson was taken one pick before De'Aaron Fox. Um, they traded up two first round picks to move up to number eight to draft Marquise Chris. Um, so, so they missed on a few of these, but I I would attest they didn't miss as much as like any other franchise would. They were just bad for a long time. That's the thing. That's the thing. And people don't misunderstand this. Like, and I, I completely agree with you when you look at these like GMs and compared to other ones, like every GM is going to miss it's just the way it works. It's just how many hits you have. So that's why, you know, uh, what's the guy in the on the Warriors? What's his name? Uh, Wiggins. Oh, no, no, sorry. The the GM. I think actually oh, was that oh, uh, who, Bob Myers. Yeah, who but who drafted Steph Curry? Was that was that the um uh Jerry West? It was either Jerry West or um Donnie Nelson. I think it might have so, been might have been Donnie so Nelson. So whatever. So the point is that they hit on Steph Curry. Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Harrison and Barnes all, too. Harrison Barnes yes. was a hit for them too. Yeah, for sure. And like that's that's that important to hit on those players. But if you can hit, you know, two, three, four players, you're just good. But that's just unlikely. But you look at the Phoenix Suns; they've hit on you. Like Devin Booker was like, well, he was out of the lottery. I think he was like a you know 15 or something. And it's like or right, right around there, or maybe a little higher, give or take a few spots. But the point I'm trying to get at is that if you can hit on those mid-range guys, like in the 10s, 15s, you know, you're you're in a good place to be. And he's just, he, he developed really well. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you Bridges was... Value. 
And, yeah, for, oh, value. Yeah, that's, that's where I was looking for. Yeah, and you can point to, like, Toronto is the ultimate team with that. Like, Norman Powell was a second-round pick. Uh, Van Fleet, mm-hmm. undrafted. Uh, Pascal Siakam, Sia- 27th Siakam. pick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they just kept replenishing guy after guy after guy around this core that Masai Ujiri inherited, which was Lowry and DeRozan. Well, technically, he yeah. traded for Lowry, but Lowry was, was not Kyle Lowry before going to Toronto. No. But, but but that's another thing though. Like they do, they have a really good um, you know farm system there. They they draft pretty well for the most part, and then the guys they bring in, they uh, you know they coach them up really well. And they got that other kid too, the um, the guard there. Ah, he I think he's Flynn, maybe. Yes, Flynn, I can't think his Malachi name. Malachi Flynn from S. Yeah, he D S U S D S U S Tex fight. San Diego, yeah, San Diego, born and raised. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's a good player too. He's a good player too, and they, and they and they, you know, they. I mean, I'll forget that guy, Terrence. What's his name, Terrence? Uh, he 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 had some uh, serious like legal allegations there, but whatever. So the point, Terrence but Davis. You're, Terrence Davis. Yeah, I think, he, you I just, think but, he's on the Kings now. Yeah, I think so too. But the point I'm trying to get at overall is that if you're able to hit on your later picks as well as the higher ones, you're you're in good shape. And you are able to build around those players, and the and the Suns have done that. Um, they've definitely missed on a few guys for sure, but but yeah, I mean, I you've even, got I, you've got the prizes that make it all worth it, which is yeah, DeAndre Ayton, who's a legitimate you know top seventy five player in the league. He's the third best player on a team that's in the conference finals. Bridges is the he's fourth best t- player. Yeah, yeah, he he's a top five center in the NBA. Like like maybe not right now, but he's going to be. Like he well, that's the other part. He's only twenty two years old right yeah. now. And they have a good young, like um, Monty Williams is really good there. You know, it, they're good, man. They're set. And actually, now that I'm talking out loud, I think that the Chris Paul signing may not be as, uh, I guess, detrimental because they have such young talent there that it's not like they're a bunch of old guys and they're just trying to hold it together. Like Chris Paul really just might be that veteran that they that they need to keep the glue together. Then once he, you know, passes on and basically retires, he's going to be 55 when <laughs> Jesus, he passes on. Passes on yeah. was a little bit intense there. Wow. Passes on, moves on from the NBA, you know, becomes a, you know, a, a you know, whatever commentator or something. And General then, manager, right, or, owner. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Something. He could do whatever he wants. That guy, that guy's set for whatever he wants to do. But yeah. With with that point being said, I'm really happy for the Suns, and I do think that um, it's an unbelievable thing that there's a potential it's going to be the Utah Jazz versus the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I know that that series is not over at all with the Clippers, mm-hmm. but it's just it's. I mean, you you you. If you told me before the season, it, there's an opportunity that kind of blows me away. To be honest with you, it would be well considering I said that Utah would start out as like the 10 seed and then trade Rudy Gobert at the trade deadline. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think this has gone in a different direction than I anticipated. But you're right. Yeah, t- t- I think even even when they were the one and two seeds, most people like struggled to believe that Utah and Phoenix were that good. And yeah, it, we're seeing it now with Utah. Like Utah is just a three point barrage of a team. I was reading a great piece. I I wanted to give credit, but I forgot who it was. Now sorry to that person. Um, <laughs> but they're talking about how the, the the Utah is the closest thing to the 2015 Warriors that we've seen since the 2015. Warriors because they shoot 
more three-pointers than anyone in the league. They've got about six dudes that shoot 38% from three-point range. Rudy Gobert is like just, he's, I was watching that game three. He's just ridiculous defensively. He just yeah. blocks shots that only he and like Anthony Davis and Giannis could even dream of blocking. Like yeah. Rudy Gobert and is he, unbelievable defensively. And he's so good that people don't even test him. Yeah. That's like if if he's in the paint, like that's how good Rudy Gobert is when he's just like they see him down there, they'll literally just turn around and go on the dead ass. So it's like just having the threat of Rudy Gobert makes your team just so much better. The only problem with Rudy, obviously, is very limited offensively, but defensively, he's like one of the best we've ever seen. Well, I mean, see, this, like this, this like, was the funny part about game three was that they came out to start the game. And every time Donovan Mitchell tried to screen onto a, a poor defender like Reggie Jackson or Zubach or somebody or Marcus Morris, he every single time that they did it, they just double teamed Do- uh, Donovan Mitchell and just basically told Rudy Gobert, "Yeah, go do whatever you want. <laughs> we're not, we're yeah. not really afraid. <laughs> just go, yeah, go yeah. run around over there. We'll switch, we'll switch one of these dudes onto you once you get it down low." But yeah, you, you can't score outside of like four feet. And Donovan Mitchell had zero points in the first 17 minutes of that game. I think he still finished with like 15 at halftime, which is just stupid good. Yeah, he's really good. He's special, man. Yeah, Don, Donovan Mitchell has been out of this world in this series. Um, Rudy Gobert has been awesome. But yeah, to the to the point on that, they've got you know Bogdanovich and Jingles and Jordan Clarkson. I by the way, I call Joe Ingles Jingles. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I almost just made fun of you, but I, I actually respect it. Yeah. So they they. I mean, he sound he, his name sounds like basically just a disease. He's got Jingles um, <laughs> every time he just hits <laughs> like three three pointers. Um, so Bogdanovich and Jingles and Jordan Clarkson and Royce O'Neal, like they've. Got got so many good shooters on that team definitely and then with that being said about that team about that game how soft was that Jokic ejection man like what do you think about that oh that's right um like come on dude like I'm fine it's a flagrant fine like fine like I'm okay with it but like the NBA makes it so hard to like enjoy this type of stuff like what are you getting what are you ejecting the MVP for like come on as, as someone who's pro-fighting um, in the NBA, I understand why we can't have it anymore. I've seen yeah. I've seen the videos of the Malice at the Palace. Like, I understand yeah, why we can't have it. But I'm not fighting, even saying that. That's not even, that's not even what it looked like. You know what I mean? Like, say, I get it. If you punch them in the face, you got to get ejected. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But it was a hard, just a hard foul. Like, oh, dude, the NBA is so so painful sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have had the cojones to eject Jokic at the end of that game, but... I, I guess I understand why they did it. I don't know. It, it was a very weird situation during a time where the Nuggets knew like it was all falling apart and yeah, elimination game. I mean, like, come on. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 to, to be honest, like, I, I was just like annoyed when he got ejected. I'm like, this is just like it's just it's just tough sometimes to be able to like enjoy the NBA games where just like stuff like that happens. It just bothers me. It really does. It just it's starting to actually like like take a toll on me. Do you see that thing with Kevin Durant's bodyguard? Yeah, the guy who's not allowed to to cover Milwaukee games anymore. Or is so this a different wh- story? Yeah, no, no, it is the the guy. So when PJ Tucker and um, 
KD go face to face, and then the body KD's bodyguard, not a security guard, and that would still be oh, soft. Oh, that makes so much more sense that that was so KD's he, personal security guard. He, yes, so he literally runs on the court and breaks it up. This is KD's personal bodyguard. Like, what? Are you kidding me, bro? It, it's like all. It's just. It's just jawing. Like, oh my god, that was just that blew me away. I'm like, dude. I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a bodyguard. Like, I get it. But it's just a game. We, PJ Tucker's not going to punch you in the face, bro. Like, we, we just talked about this. The pa- malice and the palace malice, whatever the hell it's called, it's not going to happen. No one even... People get ejected for poking people in the eye. Like, come on, dude. Nothing's going to happen. Well, the other oh. part about poking in the eye is that it leads to the the greatest basketball fight of the last three years, which was when uh, Raja, was it Rajon oh, Rondo yeah. laid a cold yeah. right hook on on Chris Paul? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. good. I, actually, I think it was also with Brandon, Brandon Ingram, I think, was in that too. But yes, but, yeah, but you with that LeBron being... holding back Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker was... P.J. Tucker was there in the middle of that fight too. Oh yeah, because he's on the, on the Rockets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but with that being said, though, it's like, come on, please. Like I'm not. I, I get it. You can't just let people just punch people in the face. I'm okay with that. I get it. I actually like. I'm okay with it. But just like the like like the jawing and like the excitement. Like w- when people dunk on someone, and they stare at someone. Like they get like a technical foul. It's like, come on. It's like it's gamesmanship, which is what you do. I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old timer in that sense, but just no. I, I get just, I get what you're saying on that, and it, it's I think it's totally fair. I think all of it is totally fair to the point on Katie's bodyguard. I find it funny because isn't that kind of what that guy's job is? Is when Katie's at the the hookah bar, <laughs> yeah, is that he's just got to keep him from getting into a fight with some rando? Is that basically so, but, that's but, what that guy's job is? Fine, fine. I like, I'm totally good with that. When you're out in public, you can't trust these guys. Like these are just these are just random civilians. You're you're in an NBA a sanctioned NBA game, arguing with another NBA player. It's not like a fan is running up and attacking you. Like no, I I would totally understand that. But it's like I don't know. I I I, I do I do like see why. But it's just like, come on, bro. Like, we don't need this. But with everything that's happened in the NBA, you know, recently, these guys are probably all like, get their got their guards up. But it still just bothers me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sensitive in that sense. But I just it just bothers me. It really does. I I think that's very fair. I I don't I don't have any objections to having outrage over it. I mean, yeah. it. it it's it's a very strange thing going on. It's weird. Yeah, exactly. Like with it, you know, in 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 the same breath, though, like. I don't. I don't have a problem with these guys, like you know, looking out for themselves, all this type of stuff. You know, I'm. I'm that's all well and fine, but like, that's. I. I was told at a very young age that's the part of the game. You know, hard fouls. Like, yeah, I don't want my guy just getting punched in the face. You know what I mean? I'm okay with that, but yeah, I. It, to be honest, yeah, I'll, I'll go down a rabbit hole here if we keep going. So maybe we should move on because it, it really bothers me. I mean, I do want to see my own guy punch someone else in the face. I do enjoy that. I mean, I still. So this this harkens back to baseball, but um, during the the early 2010s, I got super big into those Texas Rangers teams of the early 2010s, oh, yeah. and slowly but steadily they started falling from relevance, and it kind of ended when. Uh, when, Odor, punch. when 
No, it was so it was when Batista hit the home run the year before, and it was one of the greatest games. Like the seventh inning lasted an hour, and yeah. there was like a ball being deflected off a bat. It was one of the it was one of the craziest baseball I actually games watched of the last that one. six years. I, yeah, I actually watched that whole game. I remember that. So I, I that's very funny. You, you brought that up. Yes, and then the next year, Odor just cold right hooked Batista in the face, knocked his glasses off. It's one of the great videos ever. You, you can find it if you're listening. Just Google Rognit Odor Jose Batista fight. It's it's just cold right hook straight square to the face and. No, that, that will still go down as, like, my favorite moment see, in the history of sports. See, it obviously makes great theater, right? And, you know, this is just a fan in me talking. I want that. Obviously, it's fun to watch. Like, one of the most legendary Boston sports thing is with, you know, Jason Veritek and, and A-Rod. Like, that's that's part of the game, I thought. But or that one coach like, that choked out Pedro Martinez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. It was, uh, uh oh, what's his name? Um... Oh my God, I I know his name too. Uh, he's like the really old guy. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh, Red Sox fans are like supposed but, to know uh, his name by heart. Yep. Zimmer, Zimmer, Zimmer. Um, but with that being said, I'm trying to be like you know maybe like a a half in the middle guy. Like I can understand why this stuff happens, but no, I I don't want it. I want players be getting hard. I, but you know, sorry, I'm like all over the place right now. With it being said, I do think that. I also don't want injuries, right? Like, I don't want someone to get hurt over it, but it's still fun. It makes the game way better and, like, more interesting. Like, the most remember- memorable games are the ones where it gets really chippy and people talking smack, and it just, I don't know. That's just, that's just the way I like my sports, to be honest with you. So let's segue into the UFC. So, um... Man, it was a great card. My goodness, I I just uh so I'm trying to think. So uh last so last well last Thursday I told you the pick of the day was was a Nate Nate Diaz four to one. Yeah. So that didn't hit. But let me tell you, Nate Diaz is legitimately a walking punching bag. The guy just doesn't. I mean, like you should make a bet anytime you Nate Diaz fights that he won't get knocked out. The guy should have been knocked out like several times. He was doing ridiculous things in the ring, like literally walking around, like not even doing like UFC boxing type of stances. He's like leaning on his knees, like just doing weird stuff. And like, and it, for some reason, it was a five round fight. So if the, you know, non UFC followers don't know this, so normal fights are three rounds. And, uh, the co main and the main events are always five. And then any type, any type of f- title fight. It's a five-round fight, but for some reason this one was, and it's just like just a normal, you know, whatever type of fight. And <laughs> Nate Diaz, with like two minutes left, or th- a minute and a half left in the fifth round, slaps Leon Edwards and then hits him, like kind of like like kind of like does like a you know like maybe like a jab cross type of combo, and slaps him with his left right hand, then punches him, and then wobbles him, literally makes him almost knock him out. And then Nate Diaz points at him like, ha ha, like I, I got you. But if if it was earlier, Nate Diaz wins that fight because Leon Edwards was literally sleepwalking. And the reason why I say sleepwalking is after the fight, they were talking to Nate Diaz about it. And he's like, yeah, that dude was sleepwalking. Like, like I, I got him. But it was the fifth round of 
of the five round fight, so he was exhausted. But man, he's just an exciting guy. Like, yeah, the UFC's the UFC's so good. It's so entertaining. Oh, interesting to see. I, I actually did watch the end of the Nate Diaz fight in part because of your recommendation and watching yeah. that watching that at the end was interesting because I hadn't seen the first part of the fight and he had just blood pouring everywhere yeah. out of yeah, his face. Cuts on this, yeah. I mean like big time stitches he's gonna have to get like dude, but just the way this guy is, like if you know, like I always make a joke, right? Whenever you see a guy bleeding like that. It's always cool to act like you want to be a fighter. Like, oh, I'm tough. I'm, you know, I'm a fighter. Whenever I see this, I'm, I always say, so you want to be a fighter, right? You, you want to do that. Nate Diaz legitimately had some, he has to have CTE. He has to have some sort of, it, the guy gets absolutely pummeled every time he fights and doesn't go down. Yeah, he, he is it's, he's that running back that just like powers through the line and gets you four yards. And that's pretty yeah, much his it, entire game is just make until contact the wheels at the fall line off. of scrimmage and get four yards. Yep, until the wheel falls off. I mean the guy is unbelievable. So um then there was another fight that in, in the earlier card, I'm forgetting their names right now. I it was uh uh it was like a Finnish guy and then an American, but whatever. They he got him in uh in an arm bar. It was a, a. It was. They were on the ground, and for some reason, I don't know what happened. The referee didn't stop it, and the dude that was in the armbar, not actually submitting him, literally dislocated his arm. And I was talking like at the elbow. It was like wobbling around, like kind of like dangling around. The ref didn't stop it for like forty seconds. So it's like clearly broken. The ref didn't stop it. What I've never ever ever seen this ever in the UFC. Usually when like a severe injury like that happens, you like run out of the ring and you're like getting treatment because just it's so bad. No one wants to see it. This dude stayed in the ring for the entire like and you know this guy wins by knockout or whatever with the hands. He was there holding his arm in place. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, this is, oh. this is, this is, this is ridiculous. And then after the fight, I always watch the Dana White pro, uh, press conference. Cause I always think it's just really interesting. What, what he thinks about the fighters. Yes. And he's like, if you can believe it, the dude didn't break anything. They, it was dislocated. They popped it back into place. And now he has full range of motion. It, if you, if you can stomach it, look it up. It's unbelievable. I'm going to look up his name right now. So, Tell me whatever you want to hear. Talk uh, about whatever you want. I, I mean, no, just hearing that sounds brutal. And uh, this is these are the weird things that happen with UFC. Because I, I, I will bootleg a UFC fight every now and then. And you know, if we're if we're going to be doing this podcast, there will be more UFC talk in here. So maybe maybe I'll have to learn a little more about the style bender and uh, everything that's going on there. But the like. That just sounds brutal. Uh, yeah, so the guy's name is Jamal Hill, and his arm is dislocated, not broken. And from what people think, that he's just completely fine now. Like, I I have a hard time believing there's no limit, ligament damage or anything, but he dislocated his arm in the middle of the fight, stays in the ring, holding it in place, and then the guy who he's fighting, his name is Paul Craig. Paul Craig literally looks at the ref. This, like, never happens. And he, like, in the middle of the fight, he's like, all right, his arm is dislocated. Like, I'm not going to keep punching him. The ref, like, basically is like, keep going. Like, it's it's not over. And he just keeps punching him in the face when he's dislocated arm. Like, that's how savage the UFC is. 
It's just, it's not a great look, I'm going to be honest. It's like, it's just too savage. That's like, it's like ridiculous. But it's also on the other guy who gets his arm dislocated, he still wants to fight. This is how these guys are bred. They literally would rather have their arm broken than lose a fight. Yes, it's unbelievable. It's a little, little too archaic for the corporate UFC that is now part of for the sure. Disney Corporation. <laughs> Yeah, and I can tell you this, Dana White does not want that. It's not a good look. It is not a good look. Yeah, I don't think, see, I mean, as much as we love violence and we come back to the UFC for some violence, I think that our appetite for violence has changed quite a bit. And this is generational, I feel like, is that appetites for violence in sports have changed as we now know, like, yeah, there are, are, of course, there are long-term ramifications to it. (laughs) And we know what they are now. We can point to science that has enough evidence on this i mean ufc is less so because the ufc is only about 25 years old but like yeah boxing football mma i'm actually happy you brought that up because i think the ufc might be in a big trouble soon because um you know apparently there's uh you know studies whatever type of studies they've done i mean i'm sure they've done some stuff but it's not been long enough like you said to like have specific guys that have you know football yeah, football, football had for- 40, 50 years, well, technically 100 years, but 40, 50 years of athletes, which is about, you know, seven different generations of football players and uh, like to donate their brains. Exactly. And, you had guys yeah. who were dying and that changed the math yeah. on it. Yeah, for sure. So the UFC, you know, it's going to have issues because apparently due to these studies that they say it's because the glove is smaller than boxing and then you take less punishment, it makes it less likely to get CTE. But then I argue, it's just, I think it's just wrong because you got knees, you got kicks, you got um, elbows, you got more force. Yeah, you're not getting punched in the face as much, but these significant blows are so much greater than boxing. It's not even funny. The thing with boxing is that they just get hit like a billion times. But the thing with the UFC is that. These guys are getting hit. Like I'm talking, like with just like roundhouse kicks with with shins in the face. Like I just can't imagine that that type of power from that you know that type of um uh you know kick is less than a you know what I'm saying. It just yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's weird, man. It's crazy. But but that's something that you're you're accepting as a fighter. You know that that's that could possibly happen. And at the end of the day, like they're gonna have issues because there are gonna be people that are literally dying. Like you know, you get guys like Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, those type of guys who like lived and bred fighting for their whole lives. We'll see what happens if they you know die when they're like 70 or something just because of anything, or they're just living well, which I have a really hard time believing. Or having some sort of degenerative disease at the yeah. end of their life. And it's not like we don't have some experience on it around combat sports which I, i'll lump football into contact or combat sports um yeah but yeah it's i mean we have some of the evidence to suggest it so it's going to be interesting to see how ufc ends up combating it because they're because they're just yeah you know ufc's only 20 years old 25 years old they're still going through the generational shifts of how how do we how do we establish ourselves as a mainstream sports league now? They're just in the early phases of that. It's hard to believe they're in the early phases when how popular they are. Like, I don't think you can really point to any other league that has done what the UFC has done in 25 years. Like, from nothing to something. Like, it was a joke. 
Yeah. And it was literally like you're fighting in the backyard with no weight classes. Like, literally, like a guy who's 300 pounds is fighting a guy who's 50 pounds, like 150 pounds. Like, the fact that, like, there's like, there's, I, I looked it up. Like, there was like, I think, like 10 weight classes now. And like, there's like just stacked divisions. Like, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from the guys that were, you know, for, first started in the UFC, but there was only like, a, you know, like, let's just say there's only a million people training MMA at that time. Now, the best athletes are actually picking up MMA at a younger age, and then it's going to be more of like a, you know, like a house-grown thing. Like, you know, Joe Rogan talks about it all the time. Like, imagine these, like, absolute freak athletes that are in the MMA, I'm um, sorry, uh, uh, NBA, uh, NFL, you know, whatever, MLB. Yeah. Those guys are picking MMA at a young age instead. And it just... That's the that's the shift that we're looking at, and I do think that the UFC has gotten a much better uh, uh, talent level that's coming in. And you know, even look at the girls. Like Ron, when Ronda Rousey was in the UFC, there was only like five girls there in the UFC. She's absolutely whooping all of them because they're you know just the same girls. Now there's absolute savages that I wouldn't. I'm no thanks. You would absolutely kill me. And then you got Amanda Nunez, who's like literally the scariest person on earth. Yeah, no, she is, she is just ridiculously intimidating. Uh, same yeah. thing with the other the girl from Brazil. I forgot her name now. Um, but she she hasn't fought in a while. I'm guessing she's retired now. But she was just absolutely oh, scary do you I, know no I, I i don't remember it was like a one name um situation if i remember but uh yeah well but yeah but but i i see your point though there's man the ufc is a really interesting sport i think well, it has a lot to your other point and about coming from other countries is where you can get that talent pool because this is the thing that goes on with american soccer is like Soccer gets like the fifth tier athletes right now. And every now and then you have a Christian Pulisic who was who, you know, could be a superstar at any sport and chose soccer like there's every now and then there's one of those. But in other countries and this is the thing boxing has right now where like Vasily Lomachenko and Canelo Alvarez and Tyson Fury, they're the biggest fighters in the world right now. And those guys all come from different countries. I'm actually happy you brought that up because I think the UFC that has something that other sports don't, it's truly a global game. It's actually because like there's a guy, um, Brandon Moreno, just is from Mexico and he just won the belt. It's the first time it's ever happened. Like there's just so many people from the entire world that are playing this, you know, MMA, so they're getting eyeballs from not just just Americans. You know, it's just it's wild, and and that's and that's an interesting point you brought up because I for some reason just when you said that it just came right in my head that Austin Matthews in, in hockey, I think his dad was like a really good basketball player, but he picked basketball um hockey over yeah. basketball. Well, but it's I've like been that's, laughing about that for years. The idea that there's a Mexican from Arizona who's one of the best hockey yeah. prospects in the world right now. Yeah, and and that's just and that's just how it happens. Like this, it's it, you know, and I, I, not to go down a rabbit hole, but I always look at these expansion teams and I laugh at them because they're so stupid usually. But they say that the reason why Austin Matthews is is played into playing hockey is because of the Arizona Coyotes, which is yeah. just crazy to me. Because the Arizona Coyotes have absolutely been trash since they've been in the league. Yeah, and having hockey in Arizona changed all the math on that. And having it in all these Sunbelt cities has changed the math because, to be honest, you can play hockey everywhere. And obviously I loved that in 2018 the Vegas Golden Knights played the Stanley Cup final and it was, uh, I think they said, 118 degrees in Vegas for the Game 3 of the Stanley Cup final that year. 
and you know Vegas. It's just it's just so interesting, and like that. That's why I love sports. Like, there's a lot more to game the game than than just the actual game. That's why the NBA is like king right now because they understand that the drama and the you know the off season acquisitions of the NBA is almost just as important as the NBA. I would argue that the NBA off season can be more interesting than the actual game at times. Well, because we love these, like, we love the transaction as much as we love the sport. Yeah. Sometimes it's why we spent six weeks analyzing NFL draft prospects that nobody knows how good they're going to be. Not Mel Kiper, not Todd McShay, not Chris Sims. Even though he's really good at evaluating quarterbacks, like. We he have is, no idea how good any of these guys are going to be, and we spent six weeks over analyzing it. And I took part in it too because you know what? It's content, and football is yep. trying to find that. Ma- well, to be honest, they found that magic in the NFL draft and free agency. Definitely. Is Definitely. getting to it, but they try to be a year-round sport the same way basketball the, is a year-round sport. The NFL draft is is re- I think the NFL draft is almost just as interesting as the NBA draft. The reason why I think the NBA is better though is because it's only two rounds, and you generally know all these players. I mean, outside of the guys who are yeah, outside you know, of the forty-first pick in Jokic, who yeah. was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> thing or whatever so but it's an interesting conversation man that's why i think sports is so interesting yeah for sure all of it is really fascinating in the ufc because of where the sport is headed towards and combat sports all have their own issues ahead of them as they have a generation of fans or generation of people who can grow up and not be sports fans um that's now becoming a thing where there, there's not as many casual sports fans. It's more niche sports fans, and they each kind of pick and choose their own sports. And yeah, that's and, the and, world and we're and headed I, towards. I'm pretty sure we did this on the take, take It Easy podcast. I don't think we did it on the DSD podcast, but I wanted to kind of rehash this, that the fact that these niche sports can command these type of audiences blow me away. And you got like MMA. Just I always use them as an example because that's def- the definition of a niche sport, right? Yeah. Maybe not. I mean, it's definitely like growing, but it's still niche. Look at it this way: there is three like legit leagues that you have to keep a- keep track of if you want to be like a real MMA fan: Bellator, one championship, and the UFC. And that's that's just the three that are just come to mind. There's a million more. So then you go to like golf. There's like the European League, there's the PGA Tour, whether the people don't really pay attention to it or not, it's still a thing. Or you so can be hard. like me who knows a lot about the sport but cares a lot about the four majors plus the one that's at Torrey Pines and the one that's like the yeah. FedEx Cup title and Yeah, yeah, no no, like it, it's it's but it's easy just to like pick and choose, right? But it just it just it blow it's fascinating to me that like us being in our position they expect us to know everything about everything. It's like, how do you want us to know this? It's like, it's My impossible. My way is just I, knowing a little bit about everything. I, to me an too. Extent. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not watching the Minnesota Minnesota Timberwolves playing the. I don't know, like the Wizards. When we did, we did did actually do one YouTube this year where we watched a Minnesota Timberwolves Chicago Bulls game. Um, So I'm not going to say that I'm not doing that, but yeah. the, The. there's some guy named Vanderbilt who starts for the Timberwolves now. Like it, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a tough thing, man. And like that's why it's like you know that's why I do the best I can to keep track of it all. But like 
end of the day, like, you got to pick what you like, too. You know, like, I'm not, like, obviously, like, the NBA and NFL are king. You know, you got to keep up with those. But, like, you know, hockey is niche. Like, I do it only when I want to watch it. UFC's niche. Uh, golf's niche. I keep up with it when it's important. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was a, or, there I mean, was a tennis I, but, major this weekend. I was like, oh, Djokovic won oh, yeah. the championship. I'm like, okay, cool. Exactly. Exactly. That's 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 a great, that's a perfect example that like I just didn't know anything about it until he won. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I posted about it. Yeah. And that's kind of where a lot of these niche sports go down. Same thing with baseball. You can get away with not watching a lot of baseball right now. I've been doing that. I've been getting away with not watching a ton of baseball across the last few days or last few weeks, but you can still, you know, dip into baseball every now and then and learn a lot about the games. So, and learn what's going on with the league. Like, you know, the Padres are in third place now, which makes me kind of sad. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, speaking of baseball, I'm actually happy. Wow, we're getting really good with the segue thing, yes, to be honest. We're getting Inver- very good at natural segues. transitions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So I, I kind of so before the show you were asking me like what type of things that you you wanted to talk about and I I think that this pitching thing with this um you know what what, what was the word that they used uh the spider, spider tack yes yeah spider tack so basically so stuff. basically yes so for for the viewers that don't know um basically the, uh the MLB is in in another crisis like it's not exactly like steroid era but it's but it harkens on back that. to the steroid era it's yes. just they have to clean up all the stuff that was left behind from the early 2000s yeah and the thing is so basically the pitchers are using this type of um substance they're calling a spider tact that it causes their uh their what's the spin rate to be you know way higher than normal so it's making these pitchers who are good like literally all time great. So you can I can like literally point to four or five guys right away. Ty, um, Trevor Bauer, um, Garrett Cole. Um, then who was the other one you said that? Uh, Marcus um, Stroman with the, the Marcus New York Stroman. Mets. And you know, and, and I'm not saying that they're cheating directly, but it's pretty clear that once the the MLB has been cracking down on, it, I think they're like they've been uh, taking balls in between each inning and like testing them to make sure there's nothing on it or whatever type of uh, substance they're using. And these pitchers are getting all you know uh, pissy about it, but it's like they're like, oh, you know, they're ruining the integrity of the game. I'm like, shut up, dude. And then you got then you got Josh John Josh Donaldson calling out Garrett Cole, which is kind of awesome. I've never seen that before. So, w- what are your thoughts on the whole thing? So. The history with spider tack is interesting. So for context here, going back to the steroid era, and this was actually a counter to steroids. Like the heart of the steroid era was like 2000 to 2001. And baseball trying to avoid a whole steroid controversy that ended up happening um, with like Congress and people getting suspended and, and biogenesis and like dirty doctors who aren't doctors in Miami giving A-Rod steroids. Like, yeah. So, oh my God, that is, dude, that is a flat. Oh my, I totally forgot about that. that if is if you're looking for a good documentary, this is anyone here. It's called Screwball. It's on Netflix, I think, still, but it's it's an unbelievable story of how like Miami doctors who aren't doctors were basically changing all of the math and how like a ta- a dude at a tanning salon ended up busting the whole case and getting a rod exposed and suspended. It's a, just a stupid story, but. I'm I'm gonna watch that. Thank you for that. Yeah, so it's, I, I I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but you can just Google screw. But yeah, I'll look into it. I'll look into it. Yeah, go ahead though. So in, in to avoid all of that, baseball 
kind of doubled down on the like look the other way thing because that was the whole thing with steroids is like we're gonna look the other way on steroids and they basically looked the other way and then looked the other way again when pitchers said hey we're gonna start using pine tar to help grips on the baseball and baseball basically said you know what we're looking the other way on steroids it's only fair that we look the other way on this which yeah if that's the way you want to police yourself that's that i don't have an objection to it um yeah but the the problem is when everything came crashing down with steroids pitchers were still using pine tar as like a a, a no speak no tell kind of thing and then in 2017 yeah. it's, it's some of those it's some of those those stupid unwritten rules that type of stuff yeah it's just baseball doesn't have any rules in place to govern these things they didn't have anything for sign stealing they technically have a uh, substance abuse policy which can lead to like using substances on the ball it's substance abuse is not just like you know actually like yeah, doing steroids, steroids. Yeah. They technically have a policy, but they look the other way because now, you know, some according to like guys like Josh Donaldson and uh, Alex Cobb is a pitcher for the Angels who's talking about this, like 65, 70 percent of pitchers use some sort of sticky substance. And where yeah. spider tack comes into play is around like 2017 when they started. So around 2013, 2014, they started paying attention to um like spin rate being a, a stat that matters a lot. They actually started tracking it and using it to help improve pitchers, not just arm speed, but the 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 filth they have on the ball as an yeah. unofficial the, term. The stuff. Yeah. The stuff. Their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Their off speed, the the curve on their curveballs, the slide on their sliders, things like that. And so once they started tracking it, they realized spin rate is a stat that most correlates to strikeouts and whiffs by batters and so they found this stuff called spider tack and like homemade glues like super glues that they figured out hey this can help improve spin rate and all of these spin rates just start skyrocketing through the roof and unfortunately this begins mostly with the houston astros and from there, you have a lot of people who improve, and obviously Garrett Cole gets a $324 million contract with the Yankees, and Trevor Bauer gets a three-year, $120 million contract with the Dodgers. You want to hear another one? You want to hear another one that I thought about randomly that just kind of came to my mind like the other day that I was excited? I'm actually I'm happy I remember this. Do you remember how um, Justin Verlander got traded to the uh, Astros? And like, I remember at that time, people said he was washed. Yes. Like, he's terrible. He's done. Didn't he win a Cy Young there? He did. Not only that, he won a Cy Young in a year where his teammate Garrett Cole did not lose a start from May until the playoffs. And Justin Verlander still won. So, you want to tell me? So you uh, and I'm pretty sure he actually came in second to Cy Young one year too when the Red Sox. Uh, what's his name? Rick. Um, uh, Porcello. Kate, Kate Upton, Rick Porcello. Yeah, 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 yeah. Poor Porcello, and then Kate Upton was like, crying about it. But the but the thing was that that's it's just it blows me away. It's obvious they were doing stuff. I mean, it's like you know, ah, oh, that, so that's, the, so, that's the, so funny. I, I have this difficult thing with the Astros because what the Astros really did was pioneered the math and the analytics around the sport. We're like we're gonna start from the minor leagues and work through one system where you always have access to the numbers and data and we track it in every level of the minor leagues to help improve players they were you know light like literally when the warriors say light years ahead they were light years ahead of everyone in the sport 
and once it was like they Moneyball at that time, yeah, it was Moneyball, but for using analytics instead of using analytics to find players, it's using analytics to improve players, like to to coach them and train them and things like that. Where it goes to the next level is like, well, we know all this math exists, and if this sticky stuff or this, you know, I mean, sign stealing is a different thing, but if this sticky stuff is going to help you improve this statistic that we now know matters a lot, well, why wouldn't we use it the way that we use it? Like, and also have well, them throw only curveballs. And especially balls. if the and yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off. And and especially if the MLB is not going to police it, why why wouldn't you do it? Exactly. And so now baseballs come around where they've gotten enough complaints with this spider tack, which actually you know is diminishing offense. And baseball also manipulates the baseball to make their less flare on the baseball. But again, it's it's a back and forth. That was a counter to the fact that there were so many home runs in baseball because. Guys were hitting, you know, the the three true outcome thing where it's like walk, strike out, or home run that's changing the game, and the baseballs being, you know, a little bit less on the seams, which helps it fly further because baseballs manipulating the baseballs as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of people doing a lot of shady stuff in baseball, but it there's a lot of back and forth where it's like, yeah, so the hitters are going to hit this much, so now the pitchers are going to adapt and evolve, and then they're going to change the rules for pitchers, and they're going to lower the baseball, but also the sticky stuff is going to you know, lower offensive rates, and it's going to be a back and forth where baseball governs on public relations, and that's the part that makes me sad for baseball, is that they don't have any like straight man rules around it. It's just kind of go with the flow changes times evolve or whatever public opinion is on there's too much offense there's too much defense why are there so many no hitters they're just going to adjust based on what people think they want and what's going to improve the product which well well i can tell you that the products will improve if there's if if there's more offense i mean like it's pretty obvious and that's why i like at this i mean you can look at like numbers the numbers during the time with uh the steroid era it might have been the most interesting time i'm not saying that you should take steroids but I mean, I would rather steroids. <clears throat> excuse me, rather steroids than no hitters. <laughs> like, let's be honest, offense is king. Eh, baseball, baseball is in a tough situation because it's it's an old sport. It's a it's an increasingly homogenized sport too, where old people don't like change. Old people don't like yes. change, and that's kind of the issue for baseball is trying to teeter that balance between what is the change in the sport, but also another shift with it also is just analytics made football more fun it made basketball i mean depends how you feel about three pointers but i'd say more fun it didn't make baseball def- more no. fun and that's kind of it, it an definitely helped part. oh sorry um, yeah go ahead with that i was just saying that with no you're good with baseball it just made it less fun and you know shifts changed the game there's less balls in play because obviously three true outcomes there's a lot of swings and misses and foul balls there's there's just there's less baseballs in play. There's more shifts, so you have more outs instead of single doubles, whatever. And I still love baseball. This is the thing I say all the time. Like baseball got me hooked as a child. There's I, at this point, there's very little they can do. They've got me for like 20 years at this point. Until like I have kids and have other priorities, baseball's got me for like 20 years. They they've got me as a fan. I, I just went to a Dodger game yesterday. Like they've got me oh, nice. for the next 20 years of my life. So they can do whatever they want. And even if you have sign stealing, which I wasn't actually that mad about, or 
sticky substances or baseballs changing with the seams, no matter what you do, you could start murdering players on the field. And I think I would still (laughs) keep watching baseball like they've got me hooked. But that's not everyone. And I understand that as well. That's not me for sure. Yeah. And the math changes with the sticky stuff, too, because I didn't understand the the logic behind it until just recently when baseball said, we're finally going to do the right thing and we're going to crack down on sticky substances like we should have done 20 years ago. (laughs) So I just looked it up. Just uh, I was just kind of curious. The average watching age for the MLB um, in 2000, I think the most recent study was in 2016. The uh, baseball is a twenty. Uh, sorry, fifty-seven. That's a, that's and the average. Do you age. know? Do you know what the average age was in two thousand six? A decade earlier, was about. Do you know? I know it. Oh, I know yeah. it because I know this stat between fifty-seven. It was forty-eight and a half. 50. Oh yeah. So it says it says it says forty-two, but this is, might just be a different watch. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, fifty-two. But yeah. but the point is, is that it's the 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 people that are. Uh, you know, within that 10-year span, there's not really many new people watching. They're just getting older. Yeah, just less new people than other sports like football. And football is also really uh, good yeah. at marketing to women too, which has been a really good change for the sport is that a lot of people can get interested in football. But And it's it's also, like you said, it's a... We've, we've had this conversation on DSD before. I mean, on Take It Easy about like... If Jacob deGrom walked up to you on the street wearing a Jacob deGrom jersey, would you know it's Jacob deGrom? Yeah. No. So, no. Probably. I mean, I, I don't reason I know that is because I think he's just really tall and I would be able to draw some lines. But, yeah, I hear you for sure. Yeah. And, by the way, that's the other crazy part is that Jacob deGrom has the lowest ERA of any pitcher in the history of baseball through 10 starts. He has – this is just a crazy stat. He has driven in four – he has driven in five runs this year and allowed four. So he's had more RBIs than runs allowed in 10 starts. He yeah, has, and, and, his, yeah, and his batting average is what, like in the 400s or something? Yeah, and f- five of his teammates came out and basically said, Jacob's clean, man. He doesn't use any sticky stuff. <laughs> he is 100% clean, and he's just dirtier than all of these dudes who are actually dirty. He's just filthy. So let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. If he's actually not using something like, because at this point, like you don't really know if he's not and everyone else is, and he's still better than them. That means this dude's like, we're looking at one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the sport. Like legitimately, I mean, his, his, his ERA is showing it. And then his batting. He's an absolute freak of nature. That guy about to win his third Cy Young in four years might win the MVP this year. And, uh, Remember, I said that uh, I, I would prefer Jesse Hahn in 2014. As a 14-year-old <laughs> kid, I would prefer Jesse Hahn over Jacob deGrom, who is about to win his third Cy Young, and he's finished top three in the Cy Young each of the last five seasons. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right, what else we got? We want, you got anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I was going to save this for final thoughts, but I got some uh, some my Milwaukee Bucks, Brooklyn Nets talk as our championship okay. series that wasn't actually a championship series because you, you said it was over and obviously uh, th- well, things the reason have changed why, quite frankly in yeah, that series. Yeah, yeah that's like I, I've said with the caveat every single time, if they stay healthy, there there's no one beating the Nets, but you know. It always happens with injuries. So, yeah, it's a very different series when Kyrie Irving and James Harden aren't playing. But, yeah. Oh, so, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that was a dirty play by um, uh, Giannis? 
So I haven't actually watched the video yet. I've only heard okay. about. Yeah. So basically, the, basically the Kyrie Irving was going up for like a layup, or you know, just just basically going up for. Yeah, he was going up for a layup. I watched the game, and Giannis went to go for a rebound and like went right under him, and uh, Kyrie landed on his foot and like rolled it. So I mean, everyone's gonna try to make it into something that's not. But from what I've seen, there's a lot of videos of people that like that actual. I mean, I played basketball growing. I mean, just like uh, recreational. I didn't really play like in you know um, organized. But from what I've been seeing, the real ballers are like no, like you know not to go under someone when there's when they're going up for a layup. You take a step back. I've seen plenty of videos of even Kyrie Irving going in to contest a shot and pulling his feet away so they can land correctly so they don't roll their ankles. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just like a short-sighted thing by Giannis, but I also think that uh, everyone tries to make Giannis into like this villain. So uh, I don't it's understand it either. It's so weird that everyone wants to villainize Giannis. It's like, he's just, he's the nicest dude in the world. Yeah. He's it just, It's just because when you get good, when you get when not even good, like when you're like historically great, everyone try. Dude, literally fought, two years ago, people were literally saying Chris Paul had the worst contract in the NBA and he was done. And now he could, he was literally, there's like legit arguments out there that he could have won the MVP. Yeah. He, I think he got like a first place vote in the final standings. He finished fifth in the MVP, which is weird. And he, he, Chris Paul has been awesome. But Giannis is such a weird case because it's also like people are like, well, he hasn't won anything yet. I'm like, he's won everything at 26 and, years and, old. Yeah, and he's like a child. He's still like, the, and he's still like insanely raw. Like, dude, I don't think people understand Giannis could be better than, like, literally LeBron James. Like, I don't think people are grasping the fact that Giannis could have easily won the MVP this year. Won the he MVP won this three year. In a row. Three straight MVPs. The defense- could, uh, they were two games away from the NBA Finals the year that Kevin Durant messed up his ankle, so they could have won a championship there. With Brooklyn's injury, they might be on the fast track to a championship this year. Like, it's crazy how and he, good he is, is raw, raw, and like also with a second best teammate, very... Chris Middleton. <laughs> yeah, like I do, Giannis. Okay, I'm I'm gonna put this out there. I'm gonna just earth this information. If Giannis wins the MVP, I'm sorry, the um a championship this year. If he's already like a top fit twenty player of all time, like this dude is unbelievable. What are we talking about? Stop, stop. And this Stop this would be more with fun. BS narrative. <laughs> this would be more fun if we disagreed on this, but we're both just Giannis super freaks, and we we are as uh, as rising members of this sports media industry. We are hitching our wagons to Giannis, and we are riding it yeah. into the sunset for the next ten years. Are people kidding me with Giannis? Are people kidding me? This guy is the nicest dude out there. There's nothing wrong with him. He plays hard every single night. I. He there's not there's not a player I would rather have on my team than Giannis right now. No, nope, because I nope. I, I, can't, I the only one I could contest you with is KD, and I would still take Giannis. But but the reason why Giannis is better, he's younger and he has no injuries. He's just oh my god, he's so raw. He doesn't like it's so crazy. He like almost doesn't even have anything in his bag, and he still is the most unguardable person out there when it comes down to like you know going like, like in, oh my god. I, I people are not appreciating what we're seeing here, and trust me, I will not be one of them. 
I am enjoying how good this man is, and I'm going to ride him you know, on his coattails. Giannis, take me to the promised land because this guy is going to be an all-time great, and I'm going to be the one saying from Jump Street he is going to get there. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's crazy. And the thing with this Bucks team is that their window is very clearly closing. Like, they need to win a championship this year, and... It, I mean, it helps now that they finally got those three-pointers going. Here's that stat that I wanted to roll out here. I was going to save it for the end, but here is the stat of the day around the Milwaukee stat Bucks. Of the day. Stat of the day. Yes. Go. So, the, the NBA has been tracking ISO plays, basically. So, they track passes per possession. They've been tracking it since 2013 as a stat. The Milwaukee Bucks right now are first in fewest passes per possession for a playoffs in a single season. And you can, you can probably guess who number two is on that list, I'm guessing. Uh, uh, yeah, are the Nets? Not the Nets. Uh, it would Going back seven years, it is the... Oh, Golden State Warriors, maybe? I don't no, know. No, so fewest passes for possession is the, the dribble, dribble, dribble James Harden teams. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it yes, was the, yes, the yes. year after they went to the conference finals and they lost the Warriors in six without Kevin Durant in 2019 with uh, with dribble, dribble, dribble James Harden, as Charles Barkley likes to say. Um, yeah. The Milwaukee Bucks this year in passes per possession are... The, the gap between number one, them, and number two, those Rockets teams that everyone hated because James Harden just kept doing iso ball, the gap between them and that team is the same gap between the Rockets at number two and 20th place in fewest passes wow. per possession. The Milwaukee Bucks average 2.02 passes per possession, and the Houston Rockets of 2019 average 2.2 passes per possession and 20th place on that list which i think is one of those um those russell westbrook oklahoma city teams is the same 0.18 passes per possession gap between the rockets and wow. the milwaukee bucks so they've just been running iso middleton shoot mid-range jumper iso drew holiday iso Giannis the entire series until they have no, they have game. no game they have no game i mean like i mean like the team is just like like you said, until last game, legitimately, it was either Giannis or um, Middleton. Combined I mean, legitimately. With the, combined with the fact that they're like 23rd in the league in like points per game defensively. So they're not a great defensive team this year. Yeah, normally they are, right? But, last um, year they I, were number it, one, I think. And yeah. It's as it, yeah, as it, and well, yeah, and then Giannis won the defensive player of the year last year, right? But yeah, yeah so, but the, but, 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 but to prove your argument, this team. Oh man, I'm I, I'm actually enjoying this NBA Finals more than I thought I would. I'm sorry, NBA playoffs than I thought I would because I thought it was gonna be kind of boring just with the teams. I think these players that are just waiting for their opportunity to emerge into like all time greats or even superstars in the NBA or just even stars, we're seeing it right before our eyes. You know, Donovan Mitchell. Devin Booker, we all we already know Giannis is at all yeah. time. I mean, Jokic, B- AD, Jokic, last year AD, um, uh, 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 Joel Embiid, like all these players that we've just been waiting for them to. You no, know, um, Trey Young. It's been very, very fun, and now I'm looking at it. This is the Bucks' chance. Yeah. They need to go. They need to win the next game. Go up three two, 
I would almost argue the next game is more important than the last game because now it's all of a sudden the narrative switching that if 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 Kyrie Irving's out with any significant injury, which I saw was like you know, tested negative, but that was a, a pretty nasty roll. If that's like anything yeah, with a high uh, ankle, according sprain, to he's in according trouble. to Rachel Nichols, he left the arena yesterday with a walking boot and crutches. Yeah, and no, and like that's a high ankle type of, and those ones take forever. Yeah, it's it's the same heal. injury LeBron had at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and they and they just never heal. So, um, and from what from what I was reading and looking into, I saw that James Harden is healthy enough to play, but he's not a hundred percent. Yeah. So, according to Brian Windhorst, like nobody knows shit because Brooklyn's been really protective of that injury. But I did see the report that you you had out there. That was on Friday, I think. Windhorst was talking about that. Like the he, Brooklyn's being uber protective about James Harden's injury for some reason. Yeah, from what I was seeing, yeah, that's basically just if they need him to play, he'll be able to play, but he's not going to be 100%. That, like you said, that's what I saw. But with everything, you know, all this cult, of, this is the Bucks' opportunity to do it. They need this. And the P.J. Tucker signing was incredible. He was, he's been humble. I mean, sorry, um, trading. It's been uh, traded. Uh, his trade, sorry. Yes. Trade. Not signing, Cam. Trade. <laughs> uh, yes, trade. It's been great. They've been he's been awesome for them. And now we're looking at legitimately the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, <laughs> the LA Clippers against the Bucks. Oh my god. It's just it's something. Yes. So I'll save this some more on that for my final thoughts, but uh, make sure to subscribe to the DSD well, follow the DSD podcast and follow us on Instagram as well. And so for our buddy Cam. Final thoughts. All right, so I'm going to be honest. I need to start doing more research on my actual final thoughts because I'm kind of got put in the spot here every time this happens because I just don't – like I just basically unload all my information during the whole podcast, which I guess is better to have early than late. But my, my honest take is that we're looking at someone in Giannis that – if he wins a couple – I'm saying a couple championships, he will be in the conversation for the greatest of all time. And we're gonna end there. Does that word period exclamation point? Like you are, you are emphatically. We are both, we are both big Giannis people, and we are hitching our wagons to Giannis. Here. I, it's, it's a period exclamation point, potentially question mark. It's just there. <laughs> I'm putting it out in the earth. DSC says this. It's possible. Just take it for what it is. And for myself, Kyle, I just want to uh, put out there. That at the beginning of the playoffs, I talked about how we are literally in the middle of a generational shift. We've got some guys who have run the league for about six years in the NBA exiting their primes. You've got young guys entering their primes. The the young guys, Giannis and Jokic, have won the MVP the last three years. And even the babies were coming for people's shit with Luca and Trey Young. Um, and we look, yep. we're looking around right now and... Uh, it looks like the young guys are winning. The young guys are taking the mantle right now as we see Devin Definitely. Booker advance and Chris Paul just being a weird mercenary. Like Chris Paul's already exited his prime, but somehow he's playing like prime Chris Paul again. Um, but with Devin Booker, with Donovan Mitchell being the the force that he's been, by the way, game four is tonight there. Uh, yep. Joel Embiid, Trey Young, and of I course, mean, Giannis. You could even throw in. You, you could even throw in Luka Doncic. I know he's he's not. He didn't move on, but he no, still played still ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? The only the only two left. Like LeBron's gone, Steph's gone, Russ is gone, Dame Lillard's gone. 
Uh, the only one left now is Katie and Kawhi, and both of them yeah. both of them are not doing great right now. So it, it look it looks like the children are coming for coming for the crown, and uh, I think I think we're starting to see the transition between generations yep. right in front of our eyes. It's a beautiful thing, my friend. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, it is. So again, I mentioned it a second ago. Follow, leave a five star rating and a review on Apple. Doesn't have to be a nice review; just needs to be a review. Um, download all four episodes of the DSD podcast and. Uh, Check out Cam's work. There's a link in the description to today's episode over at DSD. Check out Kyle's work with the link in the bio. We got uh, YouTube going on there. Uh, haven't had any live streams recently, but still check out the YouTube. Uh, check out our radio show. And, of course, check out Comical Sports Memes and Take It Easy Podcast. All of those links, again, in the description to today's episode. Uh, Cam, it's good talking to you again. Uh, anything else? Nope, they don't need to hear me anymore. It was good talking to you too. See you later, guys. See you later. We'll talk to y'all on Thursday.